Hello, welcome to Unprecedented Women, the podcast sharing incredible stories of women who paved their own way in the world of work. Stories that will inspire you to have the confidence to be visible, take action and to play big, because what's the best that can happen? I'm Jess Audsley, we're all pioneers and we are all unprecedented. I am so happy to be here today with Lucy from Equinox Business. So Lucy is a business coach and she helps women move forward with clarity and courage to achieve what they've always been capable of and have helped hundreds of startup businesses. So we have a passion, which is mutual. It's about making sure that women know what they're capable of. So Lucy, tell us more about your own journey to, to where you are now with your business. Hi, Jessica. I just want to say thank you so much for having me on. And it's lovely to just have a platform to be able to talk to a like-minded soul about this. And I know it's going to be hard to curb this conversation into a nice tight time frame. So um, so you want to hear a little bit about my journey. So I guess and this isn't a life story, but it does really, really start from when I was a child. And I've grown up in a very entrepreneurial family. And most notably, my mother was incredibly entrepreneurial. There was always a business idea on the go. There was always, you know, stuff on the dining room table to be packed out and stamps to be licked and whatever. You know, there was probably in the course of my childhood, there must have been four or five different businesses going on. And in and around that, you know, my uncles and extended family, there there were always businesses. There were always entrepreneurs. So the idea of starting a business wasn't a novelty it was very much that was the way you did it. So I think that desensitised me in many respects to, to taking risks. But it wasn't until much, much later, Jessica, that I actually started a business. So I, I went very much the conventional route. And initially, I was incredibly creative, not academic. And this was a limiting belief I had and that I can see now looking back. You know, I was told I'm the creative one. My sister's the academic one. You're the one that does all the colour and the fluffy stuff. And she's got the analytical brain. And from such a young age, that was the story that we were told. And, you know, I didn't do amazingly at school. I did okay. I was a sort of classic average student, whereas my sister was, you know, the very smart, grade A student, very dedicated And because of that, I always imagined I would go into something creative and I loved photography. I loved art. So all those visual things were really important to me. Um, But I also felt really passionately when it came to, you know, I I did my um, GCSEs, I did my A-levels, all in those creative subjects. And I felt quite passionately that as soon as you put yourself in a situation where you have to do something creative, the creativity goes, like the joy in that process goes. So I didn't want to do a creative degree. So I ended up actually going straight into work. And I got a job as an office junior for, funnily enough, a wine company, which was a very good job, Jessica. I highly recommend the wine and spirits industry. <laughs> so Especially as, it, as, as a young 20-year-old or something, right? <laughs> yeah. it's, it totally tainted to my view of like what a job would be because we would sit there and have wine tastings in the afternoon and things. I'm like, this grown-up stuff is brilliant. Why didn't I do this before? <laughs> it's like me. My, my first job was in the film industry. You can only imagine. It's all about film premieres and, you know, watching movies in your work hours is not the real world at all but that was my world that was my world for about five or six years and during my job there I worked my way up I they put me on my um chartered institute of marketing qualifications because I had a real passion for people and I was naturally leaning you you know what you do as an office junior you kind of work your way through any department that needs your help 
And marketing was definitely one area that it just clicked. You know, I'm a natural empath. I'm quite creative. And the thought of, you know, doing events and flyers and really getting involved with the people side of it, it just worked for me. So they put me through my Chartered Institute of Marketing qualifications and all that, which is absolutely fantastic. And then I left and it was a very long story that you you play back in your head and you go, it, it was one of those universe moments because I, I don't think I ever would have left that job in in a conscious capacity because I was very happy there. But my husband's job relocated to London and we, we were just about to get married and we decided that actually it was far easier for me to get a job in marketing in London, uh, moving out of Cornwall in, in the UK where we are at the moment, than it would be for him to find a job doing what he does in Cornwall. So it was a great opportunity for him. So I handed him my notice and we went up. Anyway, it, it didn't work out. He got made redundant incredibly quickly. So we ended up coming home cap in hand. And I ended up going to see a careers advisor at the local college because I'm like, I am lost. I don't know what I want to do. Like, this feels like a really good moment to reflect on which way my life is going. And I'll always remember this woman. She was she was wonderful. And she asked me loads of questions. And then she said, have you ever thought about doing a business degree? And I almost fell off my chair because to me, you know, to, to A, to do a degree, you had to be academic and B, to do business. You know, this is all numbers and really big grown up stuff. And and I, I don't have that brain. I have a creative brain. I don't have a, an academic brain. And um, anyway, she I, I took it home and discussed it with my husband and Obviously, our situation was quite different. We had a mortgage to pay and everything else. But we, we decided, OK, let's let's give it a go. Let's see what happens. And oh, my God, Jessica, I loved it. I absolutely loved it because it went from being academia for no reason to so applied. And it's like, I can see how this fits. I buy stuff from businesses. I follow brands. I can see the emotional involvement. The Chartered Institute of Marketing stuff that I'd done years previous, that all clicked into place. It's like, OK, this makes sense now. And I ended up graduating with a first class honours degree in business and won several awards throughout the process. And I was like, oh, my God, I really feel like I found my thing. Can I ask how, how old you were when you did that? So I was 24 when I started my degree and I must have been 27 when I graduated. So I went back as, as, as a mature student. I, th- I think there's a real benefit to that, to be honest with you, because you know, I've, I've studied later in life as well. And I think that, that there is definitely a benefit from like having been in the real world and then going into academia because you carry that experience with you. So I can totally relate to, to that experience as well. Yeah, absolutely. But it was so interesting because I went into it assuming I wouldn't be good at it. There was this real adjustment period where things were clicking and things were making sense. And it's not that it was, you know, massively confusing, but there was this real conflict, like, wow, I'm really excited by this. This makes me feel really good, but this is academia. How is this going to fit with me? And and interestingly, as I was going through the, the, the whole degree, I was finding moments where I was kind of hiding my, my love for it and my talent for it from mostly my sister bless her and I've never had this conversation with her it's funny how these these things pop up but now I, I understand how these belief systems work and how women's brains work more importantly and I'm sure most of us can relate to this but because her identity was you're the academic one and I'm the creative one to suddenly be going oh no I am the academic one somehow felt like I was taking something away from her Mm, interesting isn't that interesting and I've Mm -hmm. I've never really consciously put that together but it it was absolutely that and I think because of that 
you end up cutting yourself down and being quite self-detrimental and a little bit like, oh, I think it was just a fluke. I think it was just this. And it, and it was a protection. It was a way of kind of, I think in my heart, I know I was really good at it, but there was this part of me that's just like, I don't want her identity to be jeopardized in any way because we've we've been siloed so clearly since children that to now have one foot in each seems unfair. <laughs> Does that make sense? In a, in a way, it does, yeah. I mean, I'm sensing that you're quite close to your sister. Is that? Very I mean, obviously, close. we should we should tell our listeners that you now run a business with your sister. So Equinox yeah, two, is, is very fact. much uh, two businesses. Two businesses, um, I know. And I can hear that you are very close to your sister. I don't have that relationship to a sibling. My my brother is seven years younger than me, and you lose mm, that closeness then. Do. Plus, we're different yeah. genders, in, in what yeah. what goes with that as well. So yeah, but I can hear that you're very close to your sister. So it does make sense, absolutely. Yeah, and and I think you know, and as you kind of go through that process, and anyway, I mean that that's that's by the by, and we can we can touch on that again in a bit, but. Yeah, I went back as a mature student and I think having that experience and having that sort of that part of the brain that's already been ignited, like I, I get what it feels like to be in business. I'd been in business for six years in an employed capacity, but I'd seen the, the inner working of a business and how important brand was and customer engagement. And um, so anyway, when I graduated, I ended up getting a job as a marketing manager in an incredibly male dominated environment. I mean, it was it's frightening when I think back to I wasn't welcomed for my brain put it that way you know I, I was very much accepted as a piece of decoration in many respects not by everybody and I think by the management team it was that they were excited about having a marketing manager it was the first time they'd had a marketing manager but they had a very large all-male workforce and it, it was the type of industry where you know, you've got the pin-up calendars you've got all this sort of stuff on the walls and you're just like oh my god you feel incredibly I wouldn't say vulnerable, but just you're made to feel quite silly and irrelevant the whole time that you're there trying to implement this stuff. And it's all very belittled. And I think when you're a when you're a woman in that environment and B, when you're introducing something that's brand new, it was very much the sort of place where, well, that's not the way we do things here. And we've always done it this way. So why should we change now? So actually, a massive part of my job, which I didn't anticipate going into it, was around um, initiating an internal culture shift. So a lot of the marketing I was doing was actually aimed internally, which is something I'd never really done before. But it was it was a really successful project and I was there in the end for again about four or five years that is not an easy task to achieve to change an internal culture no like absolutely not and and even the management team were, were all male as well so I think it, it was it was trying to work fairly strategically in terms of who are the who are the key people of influence in this organization and how bought into the I'm like my vision are they um, and then just working out strategically, okay, you know, it's like, which domino do I need to knock down first to be able to, to make this thing happen? Because ultimately, you know, they brought me in to do a very specific job. I'm there to, you know, bring about a, a shift. Why bring in somebody who is going to communicate things in a different way if you're not prepared to accept those ideas and, and, and implement them? So, you know, I, I did have support, but it was more around how can I roll this out so that the the company, as in, you know, every employee, the whole cult culture from top to bottom is bought into what we're trying to do. So that, that was an interesting challenge and one I really enjoyed, actually. And then from there, an opportunity came up. Um, I sound like a right job hopper, don't I? Been around, but you've got to understand this is all, all over are. about 20 years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 
<laughs> so I'm trying to condense this into a few minutes. Um, I then went to work as a marketing manager for, it was actually a business startup company, funnily enough, and a brilliant company. And they helped people from disadvantaged backgrounds to start businesses. And I thought this, A, it was a bit of a step up for me from, uh, from the previous job. But also, I really like the philosophy. I really like the idea of being able to give something back and really help people who needed a leg up and they just needed that opportunity. So I, I always say marketing is a bit of a superpower. And, and I always think that, you know, use marketing for good, not evil. And that's a real core value for me. So that felt like that was a good use of my skills. So I worked for them again about four or five years. I, I seem to have a, a, a an exp expiration date when it comes with, with to working for people. Um, but what was lovely about that is my role evolved. So I was there for about four years, and then I left to have my daughter. And my and our own journey into you know getting pregnant and and having children was was interesting, and that's probably a story for another day. But we we finally got there, and and I had my daughter. And I wanted to go back in a part-time capacity and the, the job that I was doing, it wasn't really conducive to, to being part-time. So they offered me a job working in the women's enterprise arm. And it was kind of my first proper toe dip into women's enterprise. And the, the lady that ran that, she is still, if you can imagine the wise woman of the tribe, you know, she is, she is that person. She is my absolute role model when it comes to this thing. She is incredibly knowledgeable. Um, she'd set up so many programs to help women in prisons, to help women, you know, out of abusive relationships. It was amazing what she'd done. And she really opened my eyes to the unique challenges that women have when it comes to business. And I, Amen. that lit a fire under my backside that I hadn't really experienced before. And I think because a lot of the challenges that the women experience, I had personally experienced. And it's not until you've been in that situation where you're like, do you know what? Not only, you know, I, I can totally empathize because I've seen myself in these situations before. And it was then that all this stuff started coming up. It's like, yeah, this imposter syndrome is massive. This is this is a really real thing. And actually, you know, the financial disadvantage, the glass ceiling, the discrimination when it comes to employment, the discrimination when it comes to, you know, actually starting a business and being taken seriously. And I guess, you know, there's serendipity in having come from the job I was in where it was a very male dominated environment. And I had to work so hard just to make a culture shift to be accepted to, to do, you know, this wasn't about, I'm just going in to do my job. I had to go in and uh, rearrange the furniture, so to speak, to be able to let me do my job. So I think the timing of all of these things was perfect because I was absolutely ripe for going into a female enterprise area. And then I was with them again for, for sort of four or five years. And then I ended up going and taking a job as a business coach. And my reason for doing that, Jessica, is because I had, I had learned so much and I had experienced so much and I had quite a lot to give back. And I really wanted to give back. And the combination of, of the business degree and the women's enterprise side of things, it was very much a case of this job feels like it fits with my core values. I really feel passionately that I can add value to people. And that was about eight years ago. Um, and from there, it's, it's, you can't coach somebody without learning yourself, you know, so every conversation you grow a little bit more as a, as a coach, as a human, as a woman, you know, you, you're always learning. Um, 
And then in that process, around sort of 2016, um, my sister approached me about, um, (laughs) it wasn't even a business idea at that stage. It was a gap in the market. And she says, I found this, or I haven't found a solution to this problem. You know, I found a problem that, that is solutionless. And I think there's something in this. And she said, I don't have the business know how to take this forward. Would you come on and be a business partner with me and we can explore it? And that was the start of Holto. And that was the business that we ended up taking on Dragon's Den. And we were the face of NatWest and, you know, all sorts of things. So we've had an incredibly exciting, probably six years now in, in that business. And what's been lovely about that is that threw us into the coal face of how it feels to be a woman starting a business. And the challenges that we found, Jessica, honestly, it's I'd heard about them, but I'd never experienced them. And I think experiencing them for yourself, it becomes an incredibly personal journey. And, you know, to the point where, you know, you're you're pitching this idea, you've worked your backside off for three or four years to get it to this point and only to have some man in a suit turn around and go, well, I'm sure it's a lovely little hobby, but that is not going anywhere. And it's not until a year later you go back and you're like, these are the sales that we've got. And, you know, this is our projection for the future based on this. And suddenly the, the money talks and it's like, oh, OK, all right then, fine. It, it was a manufacturing business. So you can imagine, you know, we're there literally dragging these these babies at that time, you know, sort of three months and, and 18 months old around to factories and, and just they, they see you coming. And they've made up their minds instantly that you're wasting their time, that you're just another silly woman with a silly idea that's not going to come anywhere. And and that was a theme that really was the thread throughout that whole journey, um, which is fascinating. And but, but again, it's what a lesson to learn, what an experience to have, because now, you know, as a female business coach, this is something that not only I can talk about from a business capacity, like, you know, these are the things you need to do, but I absolutely understand the challenges that you're, you're faced daily with this stuff. So what I'm interested in is that there are way fewer women that start businesses than there are men. In Sweden, where I'm currently based, 27% of all businesses are female run and female founded. It's one of the lowest numbers in in Europe. I believe that in the UK, it's higher than that, but not massively high either. Why is that, do you think? I mean, I know that's a general question, but what is it that makes it so difficult? We're both women who have started businesses. What do you think are the major blocks that hold women back? I mean, yeah, it it is absolutely massive. Um, But I think we have a an unconscious understanding of what our role is in society um, is, is a really big challenge. And, you know, we we see ourselves as the primary carer for children. We see ourselves as the ones that, you know, we, we sacrifice to make sure the family are okay. And because of that, it feels like a greater risk to take any sort of financial risk, time risk, anytime you're away from the family or you're away from a relationship, you feel an overwhelming responsibility for that. And that is, you know, I think that is ingrained from a very young age that whether it's we saw our mothers doing that or we see other women doing that. Um, and should we throw some guilt into that mix as well? We just throw some mum oh guilt absolutely. in there, you know, being yeah, away yeah, yeah, from, your, from your kids to 
to what you know pursue a dream you know you kind of want kind of like guarantees that this is gonna support your family and like you say a man in a suit saying this is just a silly little woman with a silly little idea that's not going to go anywhere you know rather than hard figures that this is going to work so we're all going out on a limb believing something before we actually are doing it and that that is hard to go against the grain like that it's really hard and and you can see how you know these are these there are two factors i mean and there are so many more which which we'll talk about but you know i i think you're coming into this with this belief that you couldn't possibly not be present for your children 24/7 because of that guilt and i remember seeing memes on on facebook around you know as mums we can't win if if we're working mums we're terrible mums because we're not at home if we're stay-at-home mums we're terrible because we're not providing for our children if we're too fat if we're too thin if we breastfeed if we bottle feed if we you know what I mean it's like you can't win there isn't a way that it, it's almost like you know you take that internal dialogue you take that inner critic and it's published it's out there you know you put anything on social media and there's a critic it's an external critic as well yeah exactly exactly yeah you know and it's like that is constant validation that you're it's the not narrative that we are told but also the narrative that we tell ourselves so this is the problem and you know it's all of those things compound to go i need to get back in my box you know who the hell am i to think i can do this when my role is somewhere else um, I think as well, Jessica, with, with, with women, and I know we're, we're going to talk a little bit about the, the prehistoric brain, because this is, this is such a fascinating area. But when you look at, the, I mean, there are physical differences between a male brain and a, and a female brain. The connection between the left and right side of the brain in women is, is stronger. So we, we think in, in very different ways. But when you think about how brains evolved, the, the man's role in a tribe was, we need to go out, we need to hunt. It's laser focus you know, we're going to kill that deer, we're going to take it home, and we're going to provide. And it was, I want to be the one that carries that back. You know, there's that ego, I want to be the one that's provided, because that's, that's my role. That's where I'm going to succeed and feel safe, because I'm the person they all look up to. And because of that, I mean, just simple things like, you know, peripheral vision in men is is less, because they just, they have to have that laser like focus. Whereas, you know, for them, the, the risk is I'm going to get eaten by a tiger. So it, it, it's high alert to where those very literal dangers are. Whereas for women with a prehistoric brain, it's, you know, our biggest risk is being cast out from our tribe because our tribe is the place that keeps us safe. Our community is where we're safe. And we have a bigger peripheral vision because we're watching all the children and we're looking, you know, are there tigers coming in and all of this and all of that? But what that means is like, you know, how do we remain safe in a tribe? Well, we don't put ourselves above anybody else. We don't put anybody else down. We try to be constantly empathetic to what everybody else needs. We need to be that team player. And those traits are not conducive to being a cutthroat entrepreneur that will succeed at all costs. And so, you know, this inner critic that we have is constantly chattering, going, what must they think? Who the hell am I to do this? They're not going to want to be my friend anymore because, you know, what, what if I'm too successful and they're not going to want to talk to me? Fear of failure, fear of success. Fear of everything. <laughs> fear of everything, fear of everything. But, but because, you know, we crave acceptance and there's something incredibly isolating about putting yourself out there and saying I am going to start this business I'm going to I'm going to thrive in this business because it feels a little bit like that tall poppy syndrome you know it's like I don't want to put my head too far above everybody else because someone's going to cut me down and if somebody cuts me down I lose my head you know literally like I I don't exist anymore so 
it takes an awful lot more for us to take those risks because the prehistoric brain is saying we've got a lot more to lose. It's, it's fascinating. It's so fascinating. And I, I resonate a lot with what you're saying when I talk to clients who have issues with visibility on social media. They yeah. are so worried about showing up because, you know, they're going to get judged and people are going to think this and they're going to think that and, you know, all of these things. And it's literally like, well, yes, you're going to get judged because that's the way that we work, right? The prehistoric brain needed to very quickly assess, are you friend or foe? <laughs> In seconds, our brain needs to go, are you friend or foe? So judgment is something that is innate in us, is something that we do. But as soon as we start accepting that I'm not going to get loved by everybody and that's okay, that's okay. Because I turn it around and kind of reframe it and said, who are you not to bring this to the world? Who are you not to bring your whole self? You know, you're, you're, the world is going to lose out on you and what you can do and what your business can provide for them if you don't show up for your business. Well, that, that's the thing. And it, it, it becomes self-perpetuating as well, because for every woman that doesn't put their head up and go, no, I'm, I've got the courage and I'm going to do this and I'm going to start this business and I'm going to be a role model for my children and a role model for my female community. For every woman that doesn't do that, you know, all the other women are going, well, I can't be the one to do that because it's not safe and they're all going to think ill of me. Whereas the reality of it is, if you if you develop that courage and go, you know what, I'm going to take uncomfortable action. I'm going to do something that frightens me and I am going to put my head above the parapet. In reality, most people will look at you and go, bloody God, I, know. I wish I was like her. I wish I had that courage. I, do you know what I mean? And you're giving other people permission to be able to do the same thing. And we're so fearful of rejection that that risk is it feels too much it feels too great the truth is that you'll never know what other people think about you very rarely do you get especially if it's negative you'll never know that so why should you let something that may or may not happen affect your decisions right here and right now i did a, a session for google a couple of weeks ago and got a dm from a lady and because i had put a little thing that i was doing you know a skin treatment i was doing microneedling on my stories and she sent a message to me and she said oh my god is that the secret to your amazing skin and i was like i was taken aback by that and and i said well maybe what do you mean she said no because i saw you on the google thing that you did and i just thought how amazing your skin was and i thought oh i, I want that kind of glow i wonder what her secret is and you see that's why i love this what's the best that can happen rather than what's the worst that can happen because you get that lovely thing that like brightens up your day that somebody would think that but nobody said anything negative i'm sure that they thought loads of negative things about me but it doesn't affect me because i'll never find out but but it's interesting, isn't it? Because we fill that space. So if and I, I've heard this so many times, you know, when you, you've sent an email proposal to somebody or you've, you've sent a message to somebody and they've read it or they've opened it and then nothing and you don't hear anything. And there's this space and this left part of your brain kicks in and starts going, they don't like you. They think what you've given them is crap. They don't know how to tell you no, so they're avoiding telling you anything at all. Or even worse, you're a fake and they've discovered that you're a fake. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. You know, and, and you fill this gap. And it's the language that you're using to fill that gap that you want to keep an eye on because that generally tends to be where do these limiting beliefs come from? You know, this is your belief system. And, and your brain is designed to keep you safe, not happy. 
And there is a distinction because your brain is there to scan the horizon and look for danger. Now that danger might be a tiger, it might be whatever, but actually in reality, it, for us women, it's the, the real threat of being kicked out of your tribe. So you're constantly scanning going, what have I done? What have I done that's upset people? Um, if I do this, is this going to put people off? Are people not going to like me? Uh, blah, 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 you know, and this chatter, 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 chatter all the time. It's absolutely crippling, you know, for, for so many people. The, th the thing to remember, Jessica, and I really want to get this across, is this, it, it doesn't matter what you do, this brain will carry on. So if you have this amazing opportunity and your brain is saying, oh God, if you do that, you're going to fail. What if you get it wrong? Everyone's going to laugh at you. If you do that, you know, what are the mums at the school? They're going to think you're, you know, right up yourself if you do that. Whatever this left brain is saying. So you go, oh, I'm not going to do it. It's just not the right time. You make up an excuse. It's not the right time. I haven't got all the money, whatever it is. And then this left brain starts going, you never follow anything through. You're useless. You never take a risk. <laughs> you're never going to get anywhere unless you take risks. And you're just like, oh my God, you can't win. You can't win with it. So what you need to understand is that this dialogue isn't you. This is this is an actual physiological thing that is happening. It's rationalising and it's there to keep you safe. It's not the truth. And it has been developed from years and years and years of accumulated beliefs, societal beliefs, inherited beliefs, experiential beliefs, but they're there. And what I think about me will be completely different to what you think about me or what one of my clients think about me. And I heard something a little while ago and I thought it was genius. And it's like, what people think of you is none of your business. Totally. And I'm like, whoa, that makes perfect sense. You know, because I can't control it. If they tell me what they think of me, I'm not going to believe them because I'm going to go, well, of course you're going to say nice things to my face, but you know, what's going on in here really? So just don't bother. You know, it's, it's, it's a discipline, Jessica, to be honest. And my top tip for anybody that is really struggling with this crippling dialogue is to write it down. So this is what you mean when you use the term mind monkey, right? Yes. And I don't want to confuse anybody. There isn't a literal monkey in your mind. Okay. So this is, <laughs> this, this is, this is not a, a sort of zoological experience we're going on, but, but it's this thing that's out of control. It's this thing that it's not you. And this is the important thing. You know, this isn't self. This isn't you. This is a dialogue that's happening. And what can be really great, a really top tip for anybody who is struggling with this and is kind of crippled by this dialogue is to remove it from your head. Physically, listen and write it down. Because when it's in our head, that is when it triggers an emotional response. That's when we get the sweaty palms. That's when we get the raised heartbeat. That's when we can't sleep at night. All of those physiological things. So write it down. Get a pad. I've, I've literally, I'm, I'm, I'm holding up a post-it pad here to, to Jessica so she can see. But anytime you get those moments, just write them down. And read them back. And they're horrible. You know, it's like I've, I've gone on these things before and when I'm talking live to people. And just before I've gone on, I've gone, oh, you're going to be talking nonsense. Everyone thinks you're going to be... Um, you know, making this stuff up or you're going to come across as really old or really arrogant, you know, all of these things. And you write it down and you go, wow, is that true? Like, with my logic head on, is this true or is this just my monkey? And what can be really powerful is to revisit that situation and go, what is the real truth in here? What is the potential in you doing this? And 
for me, you know, I, I have really powerful conversations. That is my job. I have really powerful conversations with people to help them to get to the root of their problem and then start building themselves back up into their future that they really want. And what we can then do is, is create these new beliefs that are more empowering. So where I'm sat waiting to go on to some Instagram live or something, I'm going, they, they're going to think I'm really old. I'm going to fumble my words. I'm going to forget what to say. I physically write it down, cross it out. And then I write, These, this conversation could change someone's life. And the power, I mean, can, can you feel that emotional shift, that difference? It's like same conversation, same situation, but actually I'm changing my focus. And I think it was Tony Robbins that, that said, you know, where focus goes, energy flows. And if I can focus on the positives, I'm going to feel positive. And, and to, you, you can imagine how differently you show up there you you know, when, when you're going in going, do you know what? This conversation I'm going to have with someone could change someone's life. You relax. You don't worry so much about it. You, you get led into that conversation. Mm. And this is, this is the power of keeping this mind monkey in check because by writing it down, you can you can look at it and you have a choice then you have a choice to, to read that and accept that as truth or to choose that that is not empowering that's not helping me to believe those things so therefore let's put a line through it and let's write something that that is more empowering that is going to serve me better and it becomes a discipline because the more you do this the more when that mind monkey starts up even if you don't have a pad and a pen to hand you're in that habit and you can go hang on a minute okay this I get why you're there. I get why you're saying it. And I can feel it. I can feel it in my hands. I can feel it in my chest. I can feel it in my tummy. But is this the truth? And it can, th th there's an authenticity in this, Jessica. There's, a, there's a, a real power in being really honest with yourself and honest with those around you. And I've written this stuff down and I've, I've physically handed the piece of paper to my sister, to my husband, and I've gone, this is what's going on in my head right now. And there's a vulnerability in that. Totally. You know, very much so. Total vulnerability. But, but also that there's a validation that this is nonsense because the response, you know, and, and actually, you know, they, they've been horrified. They're like, I can't believe you're saying this about yourself. And that's, that's great. You know, you, it doesn't cure it, but there is this, you're removing yourself from that dialogue and going, no, this is just a thing. This is a separate thing that's going on. And I have a choice now to be able to move forward in an empowered way. It's very much about awareness, isn't it? At least it has been for me when I've worked through these issues, is that as soon as you become aware of your patterns when it comes to the mind monkey or the inner critic, they, they become more obvious the more you become aware of them, so the more you can deal with them. And I think the, the really, really positive thing that people should be totally aware of is that the more aware you are, the more you do the reframing, the more you write it down, throw it in the bin or whatever you want to do with it, is that it does get better. It does yeah. get better. For me, yeah. I always have to, when the mind monkey shows up now, I turn around and I say, would I speak this way to my friend? No, I wouldn't. I would never tell her that she's useless, that she can't succeed, that nobody wants to hear from her, that people will judge her. I would say exactly the opposite. Mm -hmm. And I would encourage her. So why am I speaking to myself this in this negative manner? It makes me so sad to think of how much energy is wasted with women judging themselves way more harshly than anybody would ever do. Yeah. And, and if you could bundle up that time that you've spent wasted on worrying about stuff over the years 
what would you do with that if you had that over again? I mean, for me, it's years worth, <laughs> it's, you know, literally years worth of worrying. But also, I think what's a really empowering question is if you didn't have this, if you could get to the bottom of why you feel this way and you've got that consciousness around it, you've got some tools to help you, it, it's, it's an anchor that's holding you back. If you had control over that and that didn't have this same impact over you, what is your potential? Like, what could that future look like? Is it fearlessness? Is it risk-taking? Is it being that role model? But doing it in a way that, as I say, fearless, you know, you're, you're really cruising ahead. And that's the power, I think. You know, that it, it's then that this clicks. But what's, and I'll, I'll give you another tip, actually, because the neuroscience behind this is fascinating. I mean, just, just the way our left brains and our right brains work. But our left brain is pattern-seeking, so we are constantly looking for patterns that reinforce whether we're safe, whether we're not safe, you know, what's coming next, whatever it might be. So we're always looking for patterns. Now, language, the, 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 in us talking now, this is a pattern. So your left brain is interpreting the sounds I'm making and then recognising the pattern that that makes and it's turning it into an understanding. Written word is exactly the same. There'll be other patterns of behaviour um, that, that will come up. Music, for example, you know, another pattern. But not only does the left brain generate pattern, but it seeks solace in pattern. So what happens is, is from the left brain, this, this monkey starts chattering, 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 chattering. But how does it talk to you, Jessica? It talks to you in language. And language is a truth for us. So when we hear dialogue, when we hear a language that we understand, that speaks directly to our left brain because it's logical which is why this dialogue in our heads has so much impact on us, because dialogue is incredibly meaningful to our left brain. That is truth. And that's why taking this out of your head, putting it down, reframing it in language, writing it down, saying it out loud, feeling it, that's where the healing comes from this, because unchecked, it becomes a downward spiral. Because you, you think these things, you feel these things, you don't take the risks, so you think these things, you feel these things, so you don't do the next thing. And time and time again, we just hit the same wall. We hit the same wall over and over again, and we just can't get over that one thing. And it might seem so stupid. Um, it might seem a nothing to everybody else. I have clients that the thought of, and I know you mentioned this earlier on, you know, the thought of doing a Facebook Live or putting their face on any of the social media is crippling. And you unpick that and... There's something that's happened to them as a child where they have put themselves out there and they've been beaten down or they've been told they don't have the right face for that or I, there would have been an experience that's formed their belief of who they are. And that belief carries on. If it's, if it's unchecked, that belief carries on. But that fuels the mind monkey. That's its script. It's like, but you can't do this because you're going to fail. Do you remember that time that you failed doing that before? It's like, and how that felt, that was horrible, wasn't it? So, so don't do it again because, you know, blah, 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 blah. It's, it's nonsense. The thing is that in owning a business, being a business owner and running a business, failure is, is part and parcel of running a business. And we sort of have to embrace it, really, because without failure comes no learning. So to fail actually means learning. Why are we so afraid to fail? Is it our brains trying to keep us safe? I think there is part of that, but I think there is a cultural thing as well. I mean, there are some cultures in the world where failure is absolutely celebrated. 
there are some organizations where failure is absolutely celebrated and it becomes a learned behavior. It, it's, a, it's a reward based thing. So if we fail, but we're rewarded for that and we're encouraged to find the learning, we're not going to be so fearful of failing again. And, you know, you you think my, my son, he's, he's four now, but, you know, it, it didn't seem that long ago that he was trying to, to walk. And a child doesn't stand up for the first time, fall over and say, oh, that's it. I'm never going to walk. <laughs> they just don't have, you know, it's not something we're born with. They get up and they try again and they fall over again and they get up and they try again because actually their vision, they're like, I want to walk. I want to walk like my big sister. I want to walk like mummy. You know, they know what they want and they will tirelessly try and try and try and sometimes they're, they're not physically ready to walk you know it's not even a mental thing but they want to do it and they're pushing themselves through it but I think you know you you go through life and and whether it's you know your, your parents beliefs whether it's school whether it's society whether it's friendship circles whatever it is it gradually chips away at us that if we if we fall over in a playground and somebody laughs at us that's a failure. That isn't rewarded. That's a case of you muppet, you're an idiot, you tripped over your shoes, you did something wrong. If you don't get as high a score in your exams as your best mate, you know, oh, I failed, I'm not going to be doing very well. And, and the way that society is geared up is very much to reward success, not failure. And, and they, very, there's a very definitive difference between the two in our society. Whereas I think, you know, in, in other cultures, success and failure are the same thing, as you, you know, so eloquently put it. Whereas for us, they are two opposite ends of a spectrum. And for anybody, you know, at the failure end, then you, you are not thriving, you're not surviving, you're not going to provide for your family, people are going to laugh at you, you're going to be cast out from your tribe, you know, there it is again. Yeah. Whereas if you're successful, yeah. you're going to get all the social rewards, the financial rewards, everything, you know, the world is your oyster if you are successful and success means you don't fail. Um, so again, I think it's, it's something that has been programmed into us. And, and also, you know, we've for almost from an NLP perspective we've learned to associate you know there are certain emotions associated with failure and those emotions haven't happened by accident you know a child isn't born having those emotions that's come from experience we feel ashamed we feel embarrassed we feel all those things because people have said to us in the past you know you're an idiot or why the hell did you do that or you know whatever it might be that people have said to you whereas had from a very young age somebody fell over and they had a hand come to pick them up and go that was amazing really well done for trying and you know what even better for getting back up I'm so proud of you that was brilliant now let's get back on that bike and we'll try it again and you know what if you fall off what are you going to learn from that and you know just it's changing that dialogue it's changing that experience of failure that we're going to create a generation of adults who failure is just part of the process that is just part of it. But, you know, you, you can you can see, you know, what we were talking about, the, the prehistoric female brain, you know, where if we attribute failure, as modern society has dictated to us, if we attribute failure to being cast out in some way, it's no wonder we're fearful of that. Um, and, and failure is a bad thing. But of course, then what we do is, you know, well, am I guaranteed success if I start a business? No. Well, what's the risk of failure? 
well, you know, 75% of businesses, figures probably higher, fail within their first year. Wow, okay, that's a big risk. Okay. And what's the emotional risk if, you know, I don't see my children for like five days of the week? Well, then my children aren't going to love me and they're not going to respect me and they're going to miss me and I'm going to emotionally scar them for life. Oh, that feels like a big risk. Okay. And you're sort of weighing all this stuff. Up. What about the financial risk if I give up my job and I can't provide and I'm going to have to tell my children I can't go on holiday and we can't do this stuff? Then that feels too great. You know, that feels like too big a thing as well. And, and I think, you know, it, it's, it's such a big melting pot that goes into this. Why are women afraid to do it? Why do we have this imposter syndrome? Why is it different for us the way it's different to men? You know, it, you, can, you can see it's massive. It's, it's physiological, it's societal, it's cultural. Um, but I think there is the winds of change, though, Jessica. I think by people like you enabling these conversations and other women coming in and showing their vulnerability and sharing their stories it gives other women permission to do the same to celebrate failure I think there needs to be mechanism it's interesting how the next generation coming up you you get that generation that you know they're sort of teens early 20s now and actually their attitude to failure is quite different It's, it's really interesting and whether that is because we're the parents, you know, and we're we're becoming a little bit more enlightened to this stuff. So the dialogue, their experiences in childhood were very different or whether it is a cultural shift or it's probably a melting pot of all of them. But I think there is a shift. And when you get to our age, you know, in our 40s, I think you've, you've had a long life of things being a certain way. And it's hard to go against that grain confidently when you have these prehistoric fears, when you have this programming, when you have this mind monkey constantly warning you what those risks are. So it feels bigger to us. Yet I think we have more to offer in many respects. And that's really exciting. Women lead in a different way to men. Uh, I think that's pretty much a fact um, established. So I think we need more female leaders, but we also need more more female-run businesses because they operate slightly different to what what male businesses do. But there's also the, the point of we believe and can be what we can see. So we need to have women around us who are running businesses. You mentioned, you know, your mother running several businesses. I don't come from an entrepreneurial background. I did it for freedom reasons. I just really wanted my freedom back. I wanted to create a life for myself that was mine and mine alone. And in the corporate world, I couldn't exist because I wasn't being able to bring my full self to work. I was being held down in a very toxic male environment which wasn't allowing me to to be to live a full life at work i was being marginalized and kept quiet so for me it was really an act of liberation an act of defiance to start a business and say well listen this is not working for me so i'm going to show myself and everybody else that i can do this for myself and create you know a job for myself and that's what i did and i'm not saying it's easy but i'm saying it's possible but I think that um, I think there is a change coming too. I absolutely agree with you. And I'm interested in, in knowing your take because I think there's a lot of voices out there, a lot of podcasts, a lot of conversations about starting a business in your 20s. There's loads of su- successful women out there and I, I hail them. I think they're amazing and brave and so strong for doing it. But it's a different thing starting a business in your 40s. So 
what can you see in terms of, you know, the people that you work with and you've, you know, supported hundreds of startups when you're older, sort of our age starting a business compared to to in your 20s? What are your thoughts? I think there is a there's a different energy. There's a calmness. There's a less there's less hurry. Um, and there's the want to do it right. And I think the other thing that's really apparent is is a value set that's incredibly authentic because it's been a life's work. Um, and the, the businesses feel very different. They feel there's a permanency about them, you know, and I think with any purpose driven business, especially when, you know, you, you get to your 40s and, and you've had your careers and, and you've, you've had your children and you're doing all these things and you've come to this realization where it's like, oh, my God, you know this is what I want to be when I grow up, or this is my contribution, this is my legacy that I want to give back to the world. And there's a maturity about that and a strength to that that isn't necessarily there much earlier on in your life because you haven't experienced that. You haven't lived through all of those challenges. You can have a really strong purpose, but it's a it's more of an ethical stance or it's it's a cultural thing. It's not born from personal experience. And I think it's not until you've you've gone through that and you've had your own journey that you can arrive at a position where you're like, do you know what? This is what I want to do and this is why I want to do it. And this is why personally it's so important to me. I think also you get to this age and you've, you're so bored of being beaten down that you have a certain strength about you. There's a certain resilience don't get me wrong, there's a lot of fear and there's a lot of blockages there because, again, it's a lifetime's worth of, of build-up. But once you've unblocked that, there is this real strength behind um, what women in their 40s are trying to do and, and a real power. And it's funny, actually, I'm I'm working at the moment on developing a coaching programme for women who are sort of um, peri- and postmenopausal and this transition into the wise woman of the tribe, you know, this is, this was our destiny. This was the thing that we got so excited about is this graduation, like graduating from a degree, but you, you graduate life and, and you become this wise woman of the tribe and, and hormonally things change. So you slow down because you're there as an advisor and you're there as a coach and you're there as somebody who pulls the next generation up and shares those lessons. And I think you, you start to see the beginnings of that with women in their forties who are looking to start businesses, there is this real power behind what they're trying to do. But you'll be really interested to know as well that we're, as a business, we're also looking at the other side of the life cycle. And we're, we're in talks with some um, UK-based secondary schools about creating a programme which is about highlighting what a belief system is and what, you know, we, we would talk about the, the mind monkey, but, but highlighting imposter syndrome and highlighting where these things come from and what are the tools you can deal with it and how impactful this is. And honestly Jessica we have had our hands bitten off if if we could have created this yesterday they they would have it because they say this this is not being dealt with effectively with that generation with with children with, with girls you know 14 15 year old girls who they're getting a sense of who they are they're building that dialogue they may well have had those things I mean normally you know th these things that create our limiting belief system they may well happen between the ages of sort of 7 and 14 when we're really building a picture of who we are separate to our parents so trying to get them at that age before these things are really cemented in to be able to go, look, you know, 
it doesn't matter what people think of you, that's none of your business. It's easy to say, of course it's easy to say, but to be able to go in as a strong female role model, share your story vulnerably and be able to say, this is this is the life we've had, This is these are the lessons, this is the neuroscience behind it, these, this is how it's going to impact your friendships, this is how it's going to impact your career, and actually put that programme of support in. I think for us as business owners, that is our purpose, that is our why. And I know you, you very eloquently introduced this before about saying, you know, we're here to empower, to give women the, the courage and the confidence to achieve what they've always been capable of. But at both ends of a female's life, that's got to play a part. You know, as they're coming up into adulthood, they've got to realise that, you know, what are, the, what are the pitfalls? What are the things they've got to be really equipped for? But in the latter stages, when you're going through this transition into this wise woman of the tribe, you know, it's like, actually empowering them to be that person really being proud of transitioning into that phase of their life rather than as society would dictate you're worthless because you're not you know a 20 year old size 8 bikini model or you know you're not working in the same way your brain doesn't work in the same way who cares I am more valuable as a 60 year old woman than I ever was as a 20 year old woman because I have this power I have this knowledge I have this settled calm educational demeanor that is giving back so much and it's it's really interesting to be sitting in the middle of both of those phases and and to be able to see the value in being able to support both of those um types of women there's definitely something that that strikes at the heart of me because i when i thought about starting my business I knew that people who run their own businesses they don't work a little they work a lot (laughs) that's sort of the general impression that you have that people that run businesses work all the time and I thought to myself you know uh, do I really want to subject my children to that to you know uh, a mother that works quite a lot but then I turned it around and sort of reframed it and started thinking you know what I want them to see that you have to work hard to achieve something, to achieve a dream, something that you wanna do. It doesn't come for free, you have to work. And I want to be a role model for them because I have two daughters and a son, not so worried about him, but them, the two girls, I want to be a role model for them so that they can look at me and say, well, my mum did it, so I think it's possible because we believe what we see, right? So it's to me, it's, it's absolutely, what you're doing is so amazing because I wish, I wish all girls could know not only that the mind monkey is something that we can control, we are not slaves to it, we can work with it, not against it. But then also the other side of things, how our bodies work, you know, our our biology, our brains are different and physically we're different as well. So we have periods, we have a monthly hormonal cycle, whereas men have a daily hormonal cycle, but the world is created by men for men. I mean, I think that's fairly clearly established in in data and research uh, that that is the case. And I want young girls to be aware of these things so that they could live their lives knowing that and create a new reality for themselves, which is based on those things. And I'm so pleased you brought up the hormone cycle because I've only learned about this fairly recently and it has changed my world. And I think, you know, we're constantly measuring ourselves against the norm, which isn't a woman. 
know what I mean? We're constantly going, this has to be results driven. I have to perform like a robot day in, day out, day in, day out. If I don't hit my targets last week, I was on fire this week. I'm not, I've spoken to women who who thought they were bipolar because they were so different from one, one week to the next. And as soon as I learned that we have phenomenal strengths at each quarter of our monthly cycle, that if we play to those strengths, we achieve so much more. If we try to act consistently throughout the whole lot, it is, it's self-sabotaging. You know, we're, we're getting to that point where it's like, well, we're not going to achieve anything. I mean, I'm, I'm in, this will mean something to you, but I'm, I'm just going into summer at the end of this week. So that will resonate with you. And, and this phase is, you know, you're quite sociable. You can be quite articulate. You're full of ideas. You, you've got a lot of energy. You don't need quite so much sleep. You don't need quite so much food. And this period is incredibly powerful for having these conversations, for communicating, for attracting people into your business, for, you know, really sharing those ideas. Whereas give me two weeks, I'm not going to want to get out of bed. I'm going to fumble my words. I'm going to be sluggish. I'm All I'm going to want to do is eat chocolate. Um, and it's there's a reason for that, you know, and, and biologically, there's a reason for that. This, this is our time for reflection. This is our time when we do, we hibernate, we go into ourselves and we prepare for the next phase. So what do I want to achieve? What are my goals? What didn't work so well in this previous cycle? And it's exactly the same like running a business, isn't it? In that respect, you know, you, you, you plan for something, you execute it, you get all energized about it, you motivate other people, you reflect on it, you make a new plan, and then you do the cycle all over again. And it's incredibly similar with, with female hormones, hormone cycles. But why was I 42 when I learned this? <laughs> it's like, uh, well, I, can't, I can't, I can't, you know, I can't agree with you more than yeah. I do. I learned it very late in life and only a few years ago as I was starting my business. And I realized that, and what I do now is that I, I never, or I, I try to avoid it at all costs, schedule talks or appearances or running webinars or sessions, anything extrovert when I'm feeling at my most vulnerable and introverted, because it's going against my nature. This is biology. I can't help it. And again, as we've said before, I think it's so much about awareness. So as soon as we're aware of these things, we can work with them. But when we don't know, and we're trying to conform to this framework, the patriarchal framework, which is there, is you perform the same all the time, you're steady. Well, we're trying to achieve something which is unachievable because we're fundamentally, biologically different and it's not possible. And once your eyes are open to that, you know, life changes, life changes, you know. And, and isn't this one of the reasons, you know, one of the many reasons why we need more female business owners? Because actually as an employer, to be sympathetic to when your employees are in peak performance and when they're in reflective performance you know it's like what a gift to give to your employees but what a gift to give your business that you can harness that power in your workforce when when it's appropriate rather than you know pushing them and pushing them to feel demotivated unvalued you know incapable of doing their jobs um but this is this is the stuff that we want to start taking out to schools and go you know yeah you've you've this is what's stacked against you, but you've got this imposter syndrome. Let's talk about the neuroscience. Let's talk about the biology. Let's talk about the realities of, you know, when, when are you in peak performance and when are you not? Um, 
because it's it's almost irrelevant whether it sinks in at that age you know it, I th- we're not so naive to go in and think we're, we're gonna have you know hordes of 15 year old girls coming out being massively empowered and not giving two hoots about what people think of them of course we're not but it's a seed it's a seed that is planted it's knowledge that has gone in and when it is appropriate when this stuff is impacting on them it's there And that's what was missing. You know, this stuff was a revelation to me in my late 30s, early 40s. I don't want this to be a revelation to my daughter's generation. They don't have to choose to listen to it yet, but it's it's got to be information that is is put out there. I have great hopes for the future. I really do. I do. (laughs) I feel very positive because I look at the world now and look at just like the female leaders who have taken us through globally through the pandemic in New Zealand, in Finland, you know, in Germany. You can see the difference in the handling of the pandemic in the female-led countries and in the male-led countries because in the female-led countries, women lead with empathy and empathy is what's needed in an epidemic that's the first thing when it comes to human suffering and difficulty is you need empathy and women are showing that and that is something that in the male world has been sort of pushed down as a very female attribute showing empathy is sort of showing weakness you need to be hard and i think that we just need a more balanced view. And I, I hope that this is changing, not only among business owners and political leaders, but also in, in younger children and young women. And and you can see when you understand a little bit more about the prehistoric brain, why that is the way it is. And, and it's not a blame thing, but it's, it's, I think, you know, when your brain is incredibly target driven and very left brained, you know, it's very focused, then it kind of feels logical that economy falls above humanity whereas when you are empathy driven and community driven that empathy comes above economy you know so you can kind of see how this thing was always going to play out they're the wise women leading us through right (laughs) yeah 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 totally totally. even even though they're young some of them i mean the leaders in in finland she's only in her early 30s which is amazing you know but she's leading with empathy and she's she's using those quintessential sort of deemed female qualities in in leading her country and I think that that is astounding and you know what I'm loving at the moment and I and I speak from experience because I have one but there is this incredible bank of men who are so supportive and they believe wholeheartedly in this cause and and the the redress of the, the balance and I have the biggest cheerleader and an amazing father to our daughter who is very much around empowerment and and I, I guess you know this this isn't this isn't an anti-men conversation I think they, they're dealing with their own battles about toxic man, masculinity and you know there's a huge amount of pressure within their tribe to behave in a certain way and like you know you as you rightly said not show weakness and not show you know you're they're laser focused this is this is what the prehistoric brain does and to show any sort of feminine brain it's like oh my god what does that mean am I going to get cast out from my tribe so there is this there is this shift I think within the male community as well which also gives me hope um that you know this this isn't just a female war I think this is this is a movement that's happening across the board Absolutely. And that will somehow hopefully shift the energy just a little bit so that there is more more of an equality, but celebrating those differences that are for men, 
you know and for women we are different and but we are celebrating and honoring those differences and allowing for a world where we can both grow and succeed that's that's the hope totally Mm. totally and and i think you know all anybody is asking for is to have the same opportunities and to be able to thrive with, with in their strengths ultimately and whether those strengths are hormonal whether those strengths are in you know academia whether those strengths are in running a business it's it or being a parent or whatever those things are I think it's just about being given the opportunity to live that authentic life to your full potential and and this is where coaching is great because you know it's about identifying what it is you want what's stopping you from living that authentic life you know why are you not having this honest conversation with your partner or with your best friend or with your parents or what are you fearful of? What are you fearful of if you put out a video on LinkedIn showing your face? What it, it, It's not, oh, I just look silly. There's something behind that. And that is stopping you from living this authentic life. And that's all we want is to be able to lead this fearless quest to this vision we have in the future. Um, and I think that's, that's what you and I are trying to do even by having this conversation is, is to try and empower people that this is possible and this is all this stuff's normal. You know, the, the way we feel is absolutely normal and we can pick it apart and go, I think it's because of this and I think it's because of that. But we're all in the same boat. And, you know, hopefully by showing a bit of vulnerability and saying, you know, this is this is something we all... And I'm in such an advantageous position here, Jessica, because I, I sit here and I know I'm talking to you from my bed at the moment, but I, I sit here and I may well talk to 30 different women in one week. And it doesn't matter how wealthy they are how big their house is, how big their car is, how many children they've got, whether they chose not to have children, where they holiday, whether they're married or not, how big their business is, it makes no difference. They all have the same thing. They all have this self-doubt. They all have this mind monkey going, yeah, but you don't know what she really thinks. And maybe you're going to fail. And maybe it, it doesn't matter. And we think that if we just get to that next thing, if we just get that qualification or if we just get that new client, that's it, we're going to be happy. And it's, it's, it doesn't happen. It, it doesn't happen because Michelle Obama, Michelle Obama said that she, she suffered from imposter syndrome. And you would think that that would be impossible. You're the first, first lady <laughs> living in the White House. You're the real deal, right? Yeah. How can you be an imposter? But the feeling is real. The feeling is real, you know? And when you were the first black first lady, there was nobody before her. There's nobody to kind of lean on and say, well, she did it so I can do it too. You're leading. You're literally the first. And and I think that's kind of says it all that I, I, I find it so comforting as well that you're saying that you meet women from all walks of life. Yeah. But the challenges are the same. So the message is really you're not alone and what you're feeling yeah. is you're not unique and there are things that you can do about it. And it's it's quite debilitating. You know, I, I think I, I wanted to say a little bit earlier on, actually, with your response to starting your business, that, you know, when we find ourselves in times of stress, we do one of three things. We fight. And you sound like a fighter there, Jessica. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to go for this. I'm going to show them. We, we run away. So we flight. Um, we say this is too hard. I'm, I'm just going to go back to doing what I was doing. Or we freeze. And the freeze is actually really common. You know, like, I don't know what to do. I, do I go that way or do I go that way? And I don't want to get it wrong, but I don't want to miss an opportunity. And you're, and you just stay there. You just stay in this space waiting for this epiphany or for somebody to tell you it's okay or to give you permission to do something. And, and we, we see that a lot. We see that a lot. Um, 
but with this imposter syndrome, yeah, it, it, it doesn't surprise me that Michelle Obama has it as well, you know, because because she has a human brain, you know, and we know we know that this is the way we're, that we're wired. But the the difference between somebody who does nothing and somebody who does something is generally that belief system. It doesn't mean they don't have imposter syndrome. It's just that they have a little bit more belief that it's going to be okay, or they have. They feel that they've got the support of those people that are most important to them around them, or they've been given that permission. Um, it's It takes a certain character and a certain strength to absolutely go for it. You know, if you don't have that, that support network, if you don't have those cheerleaders around you, if you don't have somebody that you can sanity check stuff with, um, I mean, we're natural communicators, women are natural communicators, you know, that's part of building a community. Um, so to not have anybody to communicate with and get that feedback can be a really debilitating thing sometimes. Absolutely. Well, the positive thing here is that all of this can be worked on, right? Confidence yeah, is a muscle. Totally. You can you can definitely build yourself back up, even if you think you're not strong enough at the moment. And you can you can work on these things. And there's loads of strategies. You've given us so much values and and, and tips. I think one interesting example is Whitney. I can't remember her surname right now, but she used to be an employee of Tinder, and she was one of the founding kind of employees of Tinder. But she was subjected to to bullying and sexual harassment there oh i've heard about this she ended up she's at bumble yes so she ended up she was subjected to sexual harassment and bullying in the workplace and she ended up suing so tinder paid her about a million dollars give or take to make it go away as is known to happen and also stock in tinder and she took that million and she started bumble and she recently uh became the youngest billionaire self-made billionaire in America as Bumble went on the stock market and she's is she 30 around in her 30s and I think that that is such a strong story so instead of thinking well that's her and you know I'm different can you imagine how broken down she must have been from from being bullied and sexually harassed but she took Mm -hmm. her pain and she turned it into purpose and that is possible for everybody with enough work enough courage you can take your pain and you can turn it into purpose so even if it feels difficult I've done it myself in a smaller scale obs (laughs) but you know I've taken something very painful and turned it into a thriving business and and that is possible and can I share a secret with you about that please and (laughs) so this is and this is the misconception okay confidence and self-belief they will never come first If you are waiting to feel confident enough to do something or you're waiting to have the belief in yourself to do something, you will spend the rest of your life waiting. So confidence and self-belief come from surviving uncomfortable action. Now You need to do something that is totally outside of your comfort zone, survive it, and then you go, oh, that was all right. I can do this. (laughs) And and very often the areas that we're really self-confident in are are the the places where we've been forced to take uncomfortable action and we've survived it these are the lessons that we teach other people you know and I speak from experience on this you know it's it's not until you're put in these situations and you survive and not only survive you thrive that you go oh okay and and now I'm really confident and and, and you hear this you know it's just like I, I used to hate public speaking so you do public speaking, you survive and you feel a bit less nervous the next time and a bit. Less, and then before you know it, it's muscle memory and you just go out and you just, you know, because that confidence comes from taking that first uncomfortable action. 
So there is a tip for everybody. Don't wait. Don't wait until you feel confident enough to do something because it ain't going to happen. No, it's not going to happen. You just have to somehow accept that it is in that outside that comfortable zone where it's so uncomfortable to be. That's where the real growth occurs. And it feels super scary and it's really hard at the beginning. But as you say, once you've done it, something amazing grows out of it. And, and that's your, your confidence. And you keep keep working that muscle. Uh, this has been the most amazing conversation, Lucy. Thank you so much for all the value that you've provided uh, for, for all of our listeners. I'm so happy and grateful that you were able to spend this time with me. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for giving me a platform, Jessica. You know I love to talk. Yeah, well, we both, <laughs> we we both love to on. talk, so <laughs> we could go on forever. It'd be one of those 24-hour podcasts. <laughs> but at the end of each podcast, I, I ask my guests to share a story of failure. And this is really to embed that failure is, is a way of learning and the pursuit of flawlessness that we as women have is completely unnecessary because we'll never achieve it. So, so failing is learning. So is there a failure from your life that you would like to share and, and also what you learned from it? Do you know what? I, I'm sure there are hundreds and hundreds of examples I could probably give. Um, but I, I think that there's probably two and it might not be exactly what you're after because it's not necessarily in a literal sense, but I suffered with quite bad body dysmorphia for a good proportion of my life. And it took a, it took a lot to get through it and a lot of therapy and I, I'm just growing older. And I think, you know, I think my... I got to an age where I dug out photographs and I saw pictures of myself in my early 20s and I thought, oh my God, you know, that was my worst in terms of how I felt about myself and how I saw myself. And I was looking at these pictures of this beautiful young thing who was, you know, slim and seemingly confident and something went off in my brain that it's like, oh my God, I will never be her again. I will never be that young. And the lesson to myself in that moment was I'm never going to be as young as I am today. Like, this is it. Today is it. And if I don't embrace today and accept me for who I am today, I'm going to be looking back again at 60 and going, oh, my God, I wish I'd made more of it when I was 40. <laughs> you know, you can't you can't turn the clocks back. You can't do that. And I think that it, it wasn't it wasn't a failing because that, you know, it is a very common thing that people go through. But I think the lesson learned from that is stop looking back. And one of the things that we haven't yet covered today is is the difference in the left brain, and the right brain. And, and the left brain is all about looking in the past, finding patterns, finding trends, analyzing things. What did I do wrong? You know, but also projecting into the future. What are those opportunities? What's out there? What do I want to achieve? How can I strategize? So the left brain is very past and future, whereas the right brain is present. And that's why things like meditation and mindfulness, why consciously living in the moment and appreciating what you have right now helps to rebalance that left brain, helps to rebalance that mind monkey. Because when we're in the present and we can truly feel grateful for what we've got right now, it calms everything down. And it's, it's almost this yin and yang to your left brain. You know, it's like we need to nurture that right hand side to be able to get that balance. So that that's one. And I think I think the other thing that I was going to say is about giving my limiting beliefs so much airtime to get to 40 and to have not had the courage up until now to sanity check them and listen to my gut and just 
take action. And I'm, my lesson is I'm, I'm never going to do that again. You know, this is, this is my commitment to myself that I know this stuff now and I can teach other people. Mm. And I think, you know, like I said before, when you bundle all the time you've spent wasted listening to this mind monkey, not taking action, it's like, what would you do with that time if I could gift that to you back? And how powerful would that be to move into the future if you didn't have that as a, as a constant anchor? So it doesn't really answer your question, Jessica. It's not, it's not one specific thing that happened, but I think they're probably the most transformative lessons that I've learned is, is spending too much time sort of caged with this stuff. I can totally relate to that. Um, and I think those are fantastic learnings as well. And especially how, how gratitude can literally, a practice of gratitude has for me changed my perspective on things. And like you say, there's no guarantee of a tomorrow. There's no guarantee of seeing 60 and going back and looking at when you were in your 40s. There's no guarantee of tomorrow. So so for me, it's 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 changed my life to have that gratitude practice on a regular basis to actually stop and be so grateful for the opportunity um, to see another day and to learn and to, to be able to run my own business. And as you say, in the future, not change, not chastise myself for the things that I have done in the past, but to celebrate the fact that I now know better. Yeah. And remember, where, where focus goes, energy flows. So focus on the good stuff. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and Maya Angelou has this quote where she says, I did then what I knew how to do. And now that I know better, I do better. And I love that because that is so forgiving and so self-compassionate. And that is saying, that's okay. You're okay. You're all right. You know, look forward. And that's working against that brain that wants to look back yeah. and get those patterns, right? Absolutely. Thank you so much again for this, Lucy. It was amazing i am so grateful and i'm sure that people want to check you out so tell us where can we find you website social courses coaching all of that stuff all of that stuff well we have a website and the website's probably a really good place to start because we've got some free stuff on there and everybody loves a freebie um so the website is equinoxbusiness.co.uk and there is a tab in there called free stuff and we have a free course which you can take part in you know, zero cost um, which talks about the limiting beliefs thing and gives you a, a PDF worksheet that you can work through and start to dig a little bit deeper. And, and it's, it's been quite a powerful exercise for people. So that's, that's there. That's our gift. Um, you'll also see as well that you can book a free coaching hour. And again, this is something is really important to us, Jessica, as coaches, that we connect with people, that this is you feel safe enough to be vulnerable with us, because if that connection isn't there, we're not the people for you. But if that connection is there, it can be an incredibly powerful thing because, you know, it's my job title is a confidence and business coach. And there is no accident that they're in that order. You know, it's it's so important that the business stuff is obviously really important to be able to grow your business. You need to take action. You want to know what those actions are. You want to know if you're taking the right actions, what you've missed. But action is only 50 percent of getting results. The other 50 percent is mindset. And. We need the mindset alongside the actions. And one of the first things that we do in that coaching call is really dig down into what's impacting your confidence, what's holding you back. And that conversation be, can be truly enlightening for people because they've never had somebody show that much interest and be able to listen so intently to what's what's going on and to be able to reflect that back. So I would encourage anybody who would like that free coaching hour to just get on the website, follow the link and, and book that with us. 
we are of course on social media as well we're on instagram um which is just equinox business and we're on facebook which is equinox success so come and have a look at us there we, we run loads of courses jessica we've got um some pre-recorded courses that cover everything from getting better life balance and personal development to literally how to do a crowdfunding campaign and how to start a business and how to run a business so there's loads of content there that we can share with people but our real passion is just connecting and building that community of women who are just done they're just so ready to move past whatever this thing is and put it behind them and just step into whatever that vision for their future is so I really look forward to meeting whoever wants to come and join us on that. The course, the free course that you're doing sounds amazing. I mean, that's such a great start for somebody who wants to start exploring these issues and also take the opportunity of a, of a free coaching session as well. What an amazing offer. Yeah, exactly. But it, it, it's a big deal, you know, and, and we understand that, you know, this can feel like a really risky thing to do. It's like, you know, why would I pay for coaching when I don't really understand what coaching is or what the hell can coaching do for me why would I take that risk in in booking you when I've never met you and I don't know if we're going to connect and what if I don't like you and you know all of these things that I'd be asking if it was me and so we're, we're, we're just trying to de-risk it and you, you know me Jessica there isn't a hard sell it's a case of let's have that conversation let's talk about what's holding you back and we, we talk to lots of people when that's all they need they just need that unblocking and then they can they can go on um, and for other people, you know, having that regular check in with somebody, having that accountability partner, having somebody that they can show a different level of vulnerability with, it can be really difficult sometimes to be truly honest when it comes to your romantic partners, when it comes to your children or your parents, when it comes to your friends. It's a very different sort of relationship with a coach where it's it's very confidential and it's it's zero judgment and everything's on the table and and I'm not emotionally attached to you you know it's this is something I'm I'm there for you not with you so I it is very much around being able to help you navigate whatever it is you're going through and that's something that sometimes the people closest to you can't do very good at empathizing and putting an, uh, an arm around your shoulder and we all need that but it's a very different relationship to a coach a coach is sort of very practical um so, yeah, if anybody feels that they would benefit from a bit of that, then hop on over and book your call. Everybody can benefit from that as long as they're willing to commit and do the work. I've I've done a lot of, not coaching per se, more like therapy, actually, because it was <laughs> CBT. But, There's a fine line sometimes. <laughs> uh, but that really worked for me because it was a mix between it. But what it does is that accountability and somebody who is not your family or your friend where you can where you can show your your innermost fears and there is no judgment and that is truly so powerful so thank you so much lucy thank you you're very welcome and thank you again for having me that was really good fun jessica thanks lucy i really hope you've enjoyed this episode you've been listening to unprecedented women with me jess audsley if you've been inspired by this conversation i would love to hear from you please subscribe to this podcast and give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts to help spread the word. Believe it or not, it really does help. Keep in touch on Instagram, my favorite platform, and let me know your thoughts. You can find me at rocksocial underscore. Thank you so much for listening and see you next time for more chats with unprecedented women.